Do you know that during your REM sleep, you can process your emotions? Have you ever tried to answer a question or set an intention for your dreams? Our dream stages are not only an important hallmark of our brain health, but they are also a powerful tool to enter the realm of metaconsciousness and metacognition, which can allow you to have a better waking life experience in terms of your emotional regulation and learning. Discover more in episode 72, what are your dreams trying to tell you? Welcome everyone to our episode 72 of our podcast, Cultivating a New Generation. In this season four episode, we are going to talk about the dreams. What are your dreams trying to tell you? So we are going to go deep into the science of lucid dreaming. What kind of studies, what kind of imaging uh, technologies they have been using, researchers have been using, and how the activation of many areas of your brain also can give you some answers from your waking life. So let's go to the research. And to talk about this, I use as a reference the article by Berth Mota and Dressler from 2019, The Cognitive Neuroscience of Lucid Dreaming from the Neuroscience and Biobehavioral Reviews. So what is being in a dream and what is being in a waking state? Is it really something that we can distinguish? And many times do we find answers in our dreams? Can we prime our mind to find those answers, becoming aware that one is dreaming while dreaming? What is today referred to as lucid dreaming has been known since antiquity. In Western literature, it may have been first mentioned by Aristotle in the fourth century in the treatise on dreams of his Parva Naturali, in which he states, often when one is asleep, there is something in consciousness which declares that when that what then presents itself is but a dream. So it's recognizing that you are dreaming, having the consciousness that you are dreaming. Sometimes dreams can be so real that you don't know what is happening. Life can be also like that. Likewise, in Eastern cultures, particularly of the South Asian subcontinent, reports of individuals engaging in practices to cultivate awareness of dream and sleep states date back millennia. These include meditative practices specifically designed to apprehend the dream state because, as we know, during those uh, slower brain waves, when we are dreaming, when we are sleeping, we can have much more uh, peace of state in terms of the emotions that we are experiencing. Frederick Van Eden in 1913, imagine that it's more than 100 years ago, 
in a detailed and engaging account of his personal experiences with dreams, referred to lucid dreams as dreams in which the reintegration of the psychic functions is so complete that the sleeper remembers day life and his own condition, reaches a state of perfect awareness, and is able to direct his attention and to attempt different acts to free pollution. What is this translated into simpler words? It is having the power of being more aware of what you are doing when you are in a waking state by priming your mind into this lucid dream experience and integrating those psychic functions while you dream, you are activating many regions of your prefrontal cortex that we're going to review in a little bit. Research over the last four decades has largely confirmed that Van Aden's accounts or his uh, research as we review below, the evidence suggests that during lucid dreams, individuals can be physiologically asleep while at the same time aware that they are dreaming, able to intentionally perform diverse actions, and in some cases, remember their waking life. So that's the power of our dreams, and that's how we can prime our mind to dream about certain aspects. Even we can go further and ask questions that can be answered in our dreams. Despite the fact that such personal accounts of lucid dreams have been described for centuries, the topic phase of skepticism from some scientists and philosophers when there was no evidence, in part due to the lack of objective evidence for that phenomenon. So this began to change in the late 1970s and early 1980s. However, with the first validation of lucid dreaming as an objectively verifiable phenomenon occurring during rapid eye movement or the phase REM, of sleep, that was the gateway to start discovering a lot of facts about lucid dreaming. Building on prior research that showed that shift in the direction of gaze within a dream can be accompanied by corresponding movements of the sleeper's eyes. And that's how we can witness when someone is having a and experience with dreams, the eye movement is so fast and it goes uh, left to right and up and down. So those are the characteristic movement of the eyes. Lucid dreamers were asked to move their eyes in a distinct pre-agreed open sequence, which was full scale up and down or left right movements as soon as they became lucid. So imagine having that experience and creating that practice of um, setting an intention for the dream and then signaling that with the movements of your eyes. Through this technique, 
which which has since become the gold standard since those uh, 1950s, 1940s, uh, reports of lucid dreams could be objectively verified by the presence of distinct volitional eye movement patterns as recorded in the electrooculogram. <laughs> That's a difficult word. So it's EOG during polysomnography verified sleep. So what is this? It's like um, measuring the waves or the electrical activity of your brain, but in your eyes. Now we are going to measure how your eyes are moving while you are sleeping. So this is the technique and that's the um, um, systems that they are using. Furthermore, lucid dreamers cannot only signal to indicate that they are aware and that they are dreaming, but they can also make eye movement signals to time stamp the start and end of experimental tasks performed during lucid dreams. Imagine that power that you can generate with practice of stamping your dreams and having a, a moment in time, a snapshot from the experience that you are having. By providing objective temporal markers, this technique has opened a new method for studying psychophysiology of the REM stage of sleep, allowing, for example, investigations into the neural correlates of dream behaviors. Lucid dreaming thus provides a way to establish precise psychophysiological correlations between the contents of your consciousness during sleep and psychophysiological measures, as well as enabling experimental controls over the content of dreams, and therefore providing a potentially highly useful experimental methodology. While neuroscientific studies on lucid dreaming have been performed since the late 1970s, the topic has received increased attention in recent years due to its relevance to the emerging neuroscience of consciousness. Now we can go further into this kind of um, magical world of the dreams by experimenting with this experience lucid dreamers and starting to know what kind of content are they dreaming, what kind of answers can they find, and how do they correlate the experience of the dream with the experience on the waking life. These pioneer works establish that lucid dreams occur in REM, in REM sleep characterized by all of the EEG features, so the electroencephalograms of REM sleep, according to researchers from the 1960s who had sleep scoring criteria. And also in the 80s, researchers observed that lucid dreams are associated with increased physiological activation as measured by increased 
basic activity. That is the intensity or the density of the REM stage. Autonomic nervous arousal, which is characterized by heart rate, respiration rate, and skin potential, were also found to be elevated during lucid REM sleep compared to the non-lucid REM sleep. Additionally, lucid dreamers were found to occur in REM sleep periods later in the night. So imagine that you have different stages during your REM sleep or during your four other stages of sleep. You can have one more or less um, at the middle of the of of the session of sleep and then having more at the end of sleep. That's what we are going to see. The findings suggest that lucid dreaming is associated with increased cortical activation, which reaches its peak during phasic REM sleep. In addition to physiological markers of phasic activity, lucid REM sleep was found to be associated with H reflex suppression. What is that? An, a spinal reflex that is reliably suppressed during REM sleep. Also, while you are moving your eyes, your body is not um, easily able to move sometimes during this REM stage depending on the kind of dream that you are having. And we all have experienced those kind of dreams where they are also called nightmare nightmares. So it is extremely important to understand these kind of physiological changes because that's what is going to lead us to know what kind of regions of the brain have, are activating and how we can use them to enhance the memory that we have during the waking stages. That's the interesting part of this kind of reflection and this kind of research. All of these results indicate that lucid dreams occur in activated periods of REM sleep, as opposed to, for example, a state that is intermediate between waking, waking and REM sleep. This finding also raises the further question of whether lucid REM sleep is associated with localized activation of specific brain regions, which is what I was mentioning, or changes in specific frequencies of neural oscillations compared to non-lucid REM sleep. So this study reviewed the electroencephalograms that attempted to uh, answer these kind of questions. What are the regions? What are the specific regions being activated during this lucid REM sleep? Changes in brain activity during lucidity, lucidity may also partly depend on how experienced the lucid dreamer is, of course. For instance, lucid dreams of less experienced individuals may often be ephemeral and involve less control over the dream content. 
while more experienced lucid dreamers may be more likely to have longer and more stable lucid dreams, as well as the capacity to exert greater amounts of control. So this is the amazing science of this dream sleep, um, dream lucidity. This might lead to a more distinct signal in the EEG or the electroencephalogram for experienced lucid dreamers on the one hand, but also presumably less neural activity related to the effort needed to maintain the state. So that's neural efficiency. In line with this, in 2014, a researcher suggested that the mental effort needed to achieve the unsustained lucidity might be reduced in narcoleptic patients who may access the lucid REM sleep without or with less effort. So these researchers dotted, investigated what happened with these kind of patients and a, a narcoleptic patient is a patient that is not controlling uh, the periods of being awake and being asleep. Sometimes these kind of people are probably like, if I were a narcoleptic, I would be able to be talking here, but suddenly I would be asleep. So I would fall asleep like that. That's the kind of um, disease or disruption that, that these kind of people have. It is possible that lucid dreaming is associated also with spectral changes that can only be detected by a better time resolve analysis, such as time frequency analysis, that may be overlooked by averaging over large windows in time or frequency space. So what it what this is saying is that we need more uh, fine-tuning uh, systems and techniques to detect what kind of changes in the spectrum of waves are happening during these stages of sleep. It is plausible that there are at least two different neural signatures associated with lucid dreaming. The first captures what might be uh, named or labeled as the moment of lucidity. That is the transient moment of meta-awareness in which one has the metacognitive insight that you are currently dreaming. Imagine having that power. That's why it's meta-awareness that is extended awareness and also extended cognitive insight, extended, uh, extended learning insight, learning awareness that you are dreaming, recognizing the kind of stages that you are dreaming and also knowing what you are dreaming. The second um, signature of this uh, lucid dreaming captures potential sustained differences in brain activity between lucid and non-lucid REM sleep dreaming. This second neural signature is unlikely to be a signature of meta-awareness per se, 
as during lucid dreams, individuals do not continuously engage in metacognitive reflection on their state of consciousness. So in this second stage, you are, you are not really um, aware that you are dreaming. That's when you lose the consciousness of the um, reality, let's say. Rather, in this second signature, the state shift in consciousness that occurs from non-lucid to lucid dreaming with enhanced volition, episodic memory, and accessibility of metacognition. But look at these characteristics of this second stage. You have enhanced volition. What is this? You are um, boosting, incrementing your willpower. You are also accessing your episodic memory. Remember in previous uh, in the previous episode we talked about these kind of memory systems and your episodic memory is your autobiography memory what you live it can be during your day it can be before of course so you have accessibility to those episodes of your life and you have metacognition you can learn things through the um enhance will or intention in this stage, in this second stage of lucid dreaming. Changes in these aspects of cognition in the shift to lucidity have been hypothesized to reflect an overall change in the conscious experience of being a cognitive subject. So a subject that is able to learn from their dreams. Both the physiological correlates of the moment of lucidity as well as the overall differences in brain activity between the lucid and non-lucid dreams are the interesting research targets. Now we want to know what happens between this lucid and non-lucid stage. What, why do we have different characteristics in each of them and how can we access those kind of information that we can use in the waking stage. Dreamlike mental activity can be observed during all sleep stages. However, REM sleep dreams tend to be more vivid, emotional, bizarre, and more often they include a narrative structure. So these phenomenological characteristics have been suggested to be associated with the neural activation and deactivation patterns observed during REM sleep. For example, higher visual areas show increased regional cerebral fl blood flow during REM sleep compared to both wakefulness and slow wave sleep, which is in line with the visual-spatial experiences that are common during REM sleep dreaming. So you need more oxygen in this kind of stage because you are also having a lot of uh, physiological changes, which we talk about, which was the heart rate, 
which was the eye movement, which is also um, your respiration rate. All of those are uh, contributing to enhancing the blood flow in certain regions of the brain. Additionally, the amygdala, which is related to your emotions, medial prefrontal cortex, which is related to reasoning, and your anterior cingulate cortex, which is linking those two sections, show increased regional cerebral blood flow during this REM sleep. All of these brain areas have been implicated in emotional processing. So you're processing your emotions in this kind of stage. That's why it's so important to care about our sleep and to allow ourselves with a good amount of time to have these stages um, well signal, well mark in terms of the time frames, in terms of the things that you have to be processing. And that's why also when we have certain kind of um, toxic or very strong emotions, it is very difficult to have a good night of sleep because these kind of stages are also involved in this kind of emotional processing. All of these brain areas that I mentioned that is um, involved in the emotional processing, they are mirroring the intense emotions that can be experienced in REM sleep dreams. In contrast, the anterior prefrontal cortex and parietal cortex, including the inferior parietal lobule and another region uh, named precuneus, show low regional cerebral flow during normal REM sleep. The activation of these regions has been postulated to underlie the diminished insight into the global state of consciousness and restricted volitional control, typical of non-lucid dreaming. So when you are transitioning during this lucid stage and non-lucid stage, and you are also increasing the blood flow and the oxygen of the region, these regions of the brain, you are processing your emotions. As you move through this stage of processing the emotions that you are having, you will start to kind of shutting down certain regions of your brain so that they can rest and allow you a more a much more um, blended or um, constructed altogether state of consciousness, which will be restricted of volitional control. What does that mean? That you don't control any part of that. That is what is happening during these kind of stages of sleep. Several neuroimaging studies of patients in a persistent vegetative state or under different categories of general uh, anesthetics have shown a specific impairment of the backward connectivity from frontal to parietal regions. These findings converge with the theoretical work on computational modeling 
which has suggested a link between consciousness and effective, effective connectivity within the neural architecture or the capacity of a set of neural elements to exert causal influence over other neural groups in a system. So this kind of um, experiences damaging of the brain or the use of general anesthetics is causing certain parts of your brain to not allow these kind of REM stages to link the different regions of the brain and to allow the neural architecture to signal the different regions. Therefore, you are not creating a coherent narrative and a coherent rest and a coherent processing of your emotions during these REM stages. At present, in the research nowadays, it is unclear whether this reduction of top-down frontoparietal connectivity is linked to changes in global brain activity, alterations in primary consciousness, which can be subjective phenomenal states of seeing, hearing, or feeling, or whether it could relate to self-awareness. There is still those questions to answer. Explicit conscious awareness of oneself and one state. A common interpretation of these results is that top-down frontoparietal connectivity is a marker of global loss of consciousness, including the primary consciousness. However, given that the reduction of in top-down connectivity has also been observed under uh, certain kind of drugs such as ketamine, during which patients often report vivid dream-like experiences, it is possible that the reduction of frontoparietal connectivity could instead indicate the loss of self-awareness. So it is normal. It is, of course, a consequence of the damage of the brain that is disconnecting certain regions. And that's why we need to... Uh, really take care of our sleep stages, of course, take care of our brain in terms of the food that we eat, in terms of the exercise that you perform, in terms of the emotions that you are allowing and the stress. So that's why it's so important, this kind of topic. It's not on, only about the dreams and the questions, it is very important that, but it is also how these um stages of your sleep and this was just one that is giving us answers in terms of how we can learn in the dreams we can answer questions and how many regions of the brain are linking your memories there are other stages that we are going to review further of what kind of activity happens in each of these stages of your sleep Remember, this is like the silver lining that I want to give you. Please allow your sleep. Really create a ritual so that you can sleep peacefully. 
so that you can sleep not prime and so that you don't disrupt your sleep with the screens at night. So I hope that these kind of uh, practical lessons allow you to understand how important each stage is representing our sleep. So now we are going to move to the um, graphic section of showing you how the regions of the brain are increasing the blood flow and what kind of regions so that you can see them and how they look in one of the studies that where they measure this kind of oxygen. So let's see and let's um, give you the image. So as you can see here, what is happening? Well, blood oxygen level dependent, which is um, abbreviated as bold, activation in the MRI or the functional MRI case study of lucid dreaming. So these two are representing this kind of um, results. Clusters show this kind of clusters, these kind of regions that we can see here in red and uh, yellow, show the increased bolt signal. So that's those are the regions that where you have more oxygen during this lucid dreaming stage. And as you can see, they are they are sorry, in the left lateral hemisphere view. Here is the left, here is the right, and here is the increased activity observed in the anterior prefrontal cortex. So as you can see, the anterior prefrontal cortex, the medial and the lateral parietal cortex, all of them are activated in both sides, including the supramarginal and angular gyrus, an inferior middle temporal gyrus during lucid REM sleep contrasted with non-lucid REM sleep. So this is what happens when we are in these kind of stages. Look at this kind of activity and blood flow that is happening in all of these regions and how you are linking pretty much the most important regions of your brain, which are the regions of the prefrontal cortex, the, the parietal prefrontal cortex in both sides of your brain. So you're linking both sides of your brain and you are also giving um, yourself the connection and the linking power of your emotions because you are also connecting certain medial regions of your brain that also are part of your limbic brain. That's the processing of the emotions. So that's so important to see here how we are increasing the blood flow and we are increasing the activity of these kind of regions. And we are allowing our brain to really understand what is happening with our emotions and giving a layout in the dream so that we can process them. That's why we also, uh, if we have these kind of stages in a very good 
timing and segments, and we really process those emotions, we are waking up in a much better mood. And that's why the sleep night, or that's why is the, the catching phrase of you better sleep on it when you have any kind of problem, is allowing you to have more learning experience, consciousness, and processing the kind of difficult emotions that you can have during your day. So what is happening in this uh, lower section? The seed-based resting state functional connectivity differences between the frequent lucid dreamers and the controls. That's what we are seeing in these regions or in these um, pictures. To estimate the connectivity, spherical regions of interest were defined in the prefrontal cortex, in the anterior prefrontal cortex, based on the peak voxel reported. So this red circle is signaling the anterior prefrontal cortex and is giving us the region of interest in terms of how the experience uh, lucid dreamers have more activation of more regions of the brain in comparison with the um, dreamers that don't have too much experience. Frequent lucid dreamers had increased resting state functional connectivity between the left anterior prefrontal cortex and bilateral angular gyrus, bilateral medial temporal gyrus, and right inferior frontal gyrus. So they are linking much more regions of the brain that are giving them a much a clearer experience of what they are dreaming. And also that's why they can stamp the, the kind of dreams that they have. And they can also uh, participate in this kind of experiments when they, where they can signal through eye movements what kind of dreams are they having. So this is the power of your um, rituals. This is the power of knowing how to dream this is the power of asking questions before you go to sleep that you want to be answered in your sleep. And what kind of things do you want to learn? So try it out. Try it out this night. Try it out in in your next uh, dreaming experience. And try to give an intention for the dream. Try to give a question so that you can answer and you can obtain a lot of clarity in your next day. And let me know in the comments what happens with you and if you could remember more about the dream. Thank you very much for paying attention. Thank you for engaging in this kind of podcast. And if you like the information and it resonates with you, what I ask you only is that you share the information, that you give me likes, that give me some kind of reaction so that the algorithms move the information and so that we can have more viewers in terms of uh, this kind of information that is important for everyone. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. And we will listen to each other on our next 
episode. Bye. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode and integrating with this community to cultivate more awareness and consciousness in your inner health to create a new generation of humans. If you want more tools to grow your inner health with science and spirituality merch, visit www.davidortegab.com Remember that you can subscribe to become a premium member and receive plenty of benefits in all five areas of your life. Nutrition, metabolism, emotional resilience, consciousness and abundance, 